Put the fucking mic on. How we doing, folks? It's your boy, DB Barstool Sports Starting Nine, and you are listening to the End of the Bench. Scoot your ass down. Welcome to the final bonus podcast on the bench, the last dance edition. What an unbelievable ending to an unbelievable documentary series, 10-part series. On this episode, we are recapping episodes 9 and 10, the final two episodes of The Last Dance. And man, what is it a doozy. So, of course, we're going to start with episode 9, then take a quick break and go to episode 10. So, let's kick it off with episode 9. So, we we end episode 8 with the tip-off in the Eastern Conference Finals between the Bulls and the Pacers. And we open up this episode 9 with clips of Reggie... Reggie Miller, of course, NBA Hall of Famer, one of the best three-point shooters of all time for the Indiana Pacers, fighting MJ on the court. They used to have battles all the time. And MJ said, look, to be honest, they were our toughest opponent during my time in Chicago. Without a doubt. Besides the bad boy Pistons, the Pacers were hard, hard to play by. They were hard. So let's just talk about the relationship between Reggie and MJ. Reggie never feared MJ at all. They basically came up at the same time. And uh, the first time Reggie and MJ played, Reggie was playing great to start. uh, I think it was like their first game they played against each other when they were pretty young guys. And Reggie went off in the first half, and MJ had about two points in the first half. And of course, what happens is that Reggie starts talking shit, and MJ went off in the second half. And MJ said, don't ever talk trash to Black Jesus. And uh, that's what Reggie called him. From now on, never called him Michael. He called him Jordan, Black Jesus, and another nickname. But that's the relationship between them two. So then let's go to the 1998 Eastern Conference Finals. It was the Bulls-Pacers. Bulls, of course, we all know this is the last run, last run for them, that Bulls team. So Bulls win game one. You know, Bulls, you know, it was it was uh, Larry Bird's first year coaching. Jalen Rose thought that team could beat him. I mean, that, that team was stacked. Of course, Reggie Miller, you had Mark Jackson, one of the best point guards. I would say one of the best point guards ever. Very good passer for the Knicks back in the day. You had you also had Smith, you had Antonio Davis, you had a Hall of Famer Chris Mullen, you had Jalen Rose, so you had a, a lot of different players on this team. It was very well balanced, and definitely gave the Bulls the most headaches. So game two, Bulls win. MJ won his fifth MVP before that game. He was awarded it, and then of course he goes off and goes to score forty-one points. Game three. Pacers down 2-0. Reggie goes off. They win. Game 4, Pacers win again. They win 96-94. That was a battle. One of the best, they say, one of the best games of all time in the playoffs. Pippen missed two free throws. About 4.7 seconds left. Up by one. Miller makes a fadeaway three. And the crowd absolutely goes nuts. Reggie is jumping up and down. But you see a still shot. Camera was on Larry Bird the entire time from the beginning of the shot and after the shot was made. 
his expression did not change. Wasn't excited. Nothing. Because he knew there was too much time left for MJ to get a shot off. Even 0.7 seconds. zero, Not even a full second left. Still a lot of time for Michael Jordan. And MJ, with 0.7 seconds left, just missed. Just missed a three. He double, he double clutched it and rattled in and out. And that would have been an absolute dagger for the Pacers. But now the Pacers won the series tied at 2-2. Two two. We're going to stop there. The documentary goes back to 1997, the first time the Bulls and Jazz face each other. Carl Malone was rewarded his MVP, and Jordan was pissed. Jordan was like, hey, look, you deserve it, Carl. You did a good job. I still think I should have won. So, of course, he made it a point to use that to his advantage. Get pissed off about that. Create a grudge, whatever, whatever you want to call it. So... 1997 NBA Finals start with the Bulls win Game 1. Brian Russell was a pretty good defender in his time. Not one of the best, but pretty good. Talked a lot of shit to Michael Jordan, a lot. And they go back to, I guess, MJ's rookie year. Not rookie year, excuse me. When MJ left to go play baseball. He left to play baseball, remember that? And uh, there was a road trip, and they were in Utah, and he went to go hang out with some of the players from the Jazz and Brian Russell said, hey, yo, why, why, why did you retire? I want to guard your shit left and right. And Brian Russell was a rookie back then. And MJ was like, yo, just control your boy. Tell him to fucking chill. And, of course, now he put that in the back of his mind, MJ. And he's like, I'm going to use that again. And then in that game one, Brian Russell was fucked. MJ with a, with a buzzer beater to win. And guess who was covering him? Brian Russell. And we'll talk about Brian Russell and uh, MJ in a second. Bulls win game two, they destroyed them, murdered them. And then in game three, Jazz win, Malone goes off 37 points, and then the Jazz win again in game four, Stockton with an unbelievable pass to seal the deal for that game four win. Bulls are now back at home. They are in game five, Bulls win by two, one, and now look, this, they're not home, excuse me, they're away. And now one day before game five, this is the infamous flu game turning to food poisoning. So one day before the NBA finals, uh, game five, they're in Utah. They're chilling in the room. They're hungry. It was really Michael was hungry. He was chilling with his uh, his assistant and best friend, George. Uh, a couple players, trainer was there. His personals, um, personal trainer was there, and he said, all right, nothing's open. There's no room service. Nothing's open but this one piece of place. They order a pie, and five guys deliver the pie. Very strange, right? Basically, that was the starting five that ruined Michael. <laughs> the only one that can stop Michael, I guess. So, MJ was the only one to eat it out of the guys he was hanging out with that night. And I would say about 3 in the morning, 2, 3 in the morning, Michael said that he was throwing up. He was so uncomfortable. He was sick to his stomach. And it wasn't the flu game. It was reported wrong. It was food poisoning. But the flu game sounds a lot better. So he's actually put on an IV. And he was like, I mean, his mom was like, you can't play. You can't play at all. You're like going to... Fucking destroy your body. You can't do that right now. 
But, of course, MJ, he did it. But, you know, guys would say he looked gassed. It looked like his, a lot, his life was taken out of him. It was so wild. And then coming out of a, a big timeout, he found something in his body to find some will to win, something to pull him together. And, of course, he scores 38 points in 44 minutes and wins game five. Unbelievable. So we, we stop from that and we go to learn about right before game six. They're, game six is about to happen in the documentary, but we stop from there and we go to a little bit about Steve Kerr. See, we, we dove into everything about Michael Jordan, his past. We've dove into Scottie Pippen's past, Rodman's past, and of course, Phil Jackson's. But now we're learning about Steve Kerr. And I can tell you this, I think a lot of people did not know about Steve Kerr. We all know a little bit about Pimpin and, of course, Robin. There was already a documentary to begin with, but everyone knew Robin because he was out there. Phil Jackson, we kind of knew because he was a legend. Um, I, I would say a legend, legendary player, but he played for the New York Knicks, and he had a really great career. Of course, coached the Lakers, too, and we all knew about Michael. But Kerr, very interesting. In 1971, we go way back in 71, we learned about his father. His father was a professor, and um, we learned also about Kerr in high school. He made a funny, funny quote here. He said, I didn't get a lot of girls, and I also didn't get a lot of, uh, uh, there wasn't a lot of recruits at my games either. So he really never got a lot of, didn't get really any scholarships, but he got one scholarship from Arizona. And his father taught at American University, University in Beirut. He was an unbelievable professor, and at the time, Malcolm Kerr, which was Steve Kerr's father, and was teaching Beirut. And Beirut was a uh, area back in in those days in the, in the seventies and in the late eighties was a uh, troubling time. A lot of war going on. Not safe for Americans. And you know, Malcolm Kerr stood out like a sore thumb. He was an American, and he looked like an American. Like absolutely looked like an American. And in 1994, he was shot in the head and killed, assassinated. Um, and Kerr was told this about 3 o'clock in the morning by a family friend. And um, I never knew about any of this. But there was something for Kerr, you know, with tragedy, sometimes people pull through in different ways to uplift them in those troubling times. And basketball was that one thing. That was the relationship between both of them was basketball. It was very interesting. And the thing was with Kerr was he, she, you know, was he was not the best player. Of course, he was a role player, and I think he knew that going in. But the one thing that's been really mentioned throughout the, throughout the documentary is, is how can you gain MJ's trust? That was the big thing. Paxton said it best, too. How can I earn his trust? How can I earn the credibility that I am a good player to play around you, Michael Jordan. Paxson does that, the clutch three, everyone remembers that. So he gained MJ's trust. Now, Kerr was an overachiever, worked really hard all the time. But during that 97 series, he struggled a lot throughout the playoffs and the NBA Finals. So, in game six, Kerr was struggling, like I said before, 
but there was a timeout before um for the final before the game ended. And Kerr was like, right, just sit on the bench, and MJ said, get the ball to Kerr. And Kerr said, I'll be ready. I'll be ready. I'll be ready. I'll be open. And everyone knew MJ was going to be double teamed. And Kerr, of course, was wide open. He made an open shot to basically seal the deal and win game six and the Bulls' fifth NBA title, and MJ's fifth. MJ said it best. Tonight, Kerr sealed his wings. That scanned MJ's trust. Unbelievable. So cool. And then, of course, in the parade, Kerr said something along the lines of, you know, I've, uh, I had to bail out Michael again. Hilarious. But that's such a cool moment to see. To see that. Now, in 1998... Game seven, we're back, and I need. We're back. This is about to end the podcast, end the episode. Game seven, the Bulls win the series and beat the Pacers, and they have to play the Jazz again. So MJ, of course, just like Joe Namath did, he guaranteed a win, and he guaranteed a game seven win. And with this game, we learned a lot about Gus Lett, which Gus was a Chicago police officer to begin with. And was the lead security guard of MJ's like Rat Pack, you know, entourage security guards. And we learned a bunch of those. But Gus was a guy that really, really made Michael's life a lot better. With Michael losing his father, there wasn't a father figure to be around him. Because Michael always had his father next to him. And every single NBA championship that his father was around... The first four. His father was right next to him. When Michael's crying, holding the trophies. It was beautiful. I forget the first, excuse me, the first three. It was a beautiful thing. Absolutely cool. But now Michael doesn't have a father around. But Gus was that guy. Nothing got past Gus, too. Gus was... Of course, he's the, he was the head of the, the, those security guards that walked around with Michael, but Gus protected Michael a lot. A lot. And MJ saw him more than that, more than a security guard, more than a friend, like a father figure. And that was a, a huge thing for Michael. Michael needed him by, by his side all the time. He needed him there, just like his father was. And there was times where Michael would call Gus and Gus's wife in the middle of the night crying or he was talked about other issues, personal stuff. And um, Gus was there. He was there all the time. And then Gus got sick. Gus was diagnosed with lung cancer, but Michael was always by his side. He was there. He was the one who said it first. He said, look, talk to his wife. He said, look, uh, Gus doesn't look good. He looks sick. He doesn't, he doesn't look like himself. And then... At the hospital visits, at the treatments, Michael was there for all of it. He was there for him. And I, it was an awesome bond, you saw. A great bond. So to, to, to go back in Game 7, it was 76-74, and the Bulls called a timeout with six minutes left. Jump ball, Bulls get it, and Kerr hits the biggest shot of the series. Unbelievable. Unbelievable shot. 
Bulls took over after that shot, and that was it. They won the title. Bulls won the series. Uh, excuse me, they didn't win the title. They won the series, and then they go play the Jazz again. And we end the series. We end the episode right there. So big things we learned. We learned that Steve Kerr had himself a kind of a crazy story. We learned the relationship between Gus and Michael Jordan. And we also learned that Brian Russell needs to stop talking shit because it looks like something else is going to happen to him also. Episode 9, definitely, I would say, and we also learned the flu game wasn't the flu game and it was the food poisoning game. I would say episode 9, it definitely wasn't my favorite because I think we, we, we've been spoiled the first eight episodes with the backstories and some stories the public's never heard of. Ever. So I think I would say episode 9 was more of just recapping the 97 season and then finishing off the uh, 98 regular season and Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, I mean the, the flu game thing was actually a very cool thing to hear about and hear the in-depth analysis about it. But I'll have to say um, episode 10 was absolutely bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. And it was very emotional at the end. So let's take a quick break. Very short episode recap for episode 9. Only about 17 minutes. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will recap the last episode of The Last Dance. Episode 10 coming right up after this. Okay, we're back. It is episode 10 recap. Wow, episode 9 was crazy. Like I said before, really wasn't my favorite episode, but a lot of information. Episode 10, we start off with, they talk about how MJ always was a relaxed player. Always relaxed. Never treated a moment differently. Always kind of kept it the same. He was always in the present. I mean, there was right before the NBA Finals game one. He's he said like you know he's playing in these weird ass shoes of his MJ shoes, but it was like these like I guess casual wear. I don't even know what it was. I mean, somebody listening would maybe really know that's a more of a shoe guy. Um, but there was uh, he said like I uh, you know I stretched, drank a couple beers, played the piano, always relaxing. So game one in the NBA Finals, Jazz win, Jazz. Up by two with 20 seconds, and Longley ties the game up, and they force OT. Jazz win an OT. Jazz win game one. Bulls win game two. And then in game three, the Bulls murdered them. They The Jazz were held to 54 points. And everybody on the Bulls depth chart, all everybody that was on the roster scored a point. Bulls won 96-54. I think to, even to today. It is the lowest scoring points total by one team in in a game in the NBA Finals. Absolutely murdered. So now the Bulls are up 2-1 in the 1998 NBA Finals. 
the next day after game three, Robin was nowhere to be found. Didn't show up to practice. Oh my fucking God. I didn't fucking know this. I'm pretty, like I said before, multiple uh, episodes of these, I I know what's going on. I, I have a very good amount of knowledge with this era. You know, I was born in 95, but I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't paying attention, but researching and just watching highlights for the last 25 years of my life, I kind of know what's going on. This, I did not remember. I actually didn't even fucking know about it. So the next day, Robin doesn't show up to practice. He ran off to then do his second career as a fucking WWE wrestler. And he ran off and hung out and did some wrestling shit with Hulk Hogan. He mispracticed to do this. Imagine, imagine somebody doing that today. Look, Gronk became a WWE wrestler for about a hot second after his NFL career. Now he's back playing football. But this was not only in the middle of a season, this was in the middle of an NBA Finals. The Bulls were trying to get their sixth title in eight years. How in the fuck do you fuck that up? How? Imagine. Okay, who, who in the right mind would do that today? I'm trying to think about an NBA player that's that freaking nuts. I can't even think. I have no idea. I, I don't know. But the day before, Phil got into it with the Bulls. Robin was fine. Fine money. Um, and Robin showed up to practice and Phil lets it ha- you know lets him hear it. He's like, you, you totally disrespected us. How the fuck would you do this? Why would you do this? Robin was like, you know, I do all this stuff. I go win a game and I go do this. Shut up, dude. That's so, so irresponsible. I mean, great content for this this for this um my podcast and great content for the documentary. But this is this is some next level shit. Next level shit. And of course, he has talked to the media, but no. He legit ran the other way. There was the head of PR, head of the media relations department for the Bulls. They have him on video say, look, hey, we have 300 people from the media out in that door. We're going to get Robin running out the other side because Robin doesn't want to talk to anybody. Now, imagine Robin at the podium or just talking to freaking the press. That would be great content to see, but we didn't see it. He legit ran the other way. And you guys, there was, there was, it was so awesome. You see the video clips of him running up the stairs and you have cameramen and photographers taking pictures of him running away and he gets in his car and he books it out. Now let's go back to the games. Bulls win game four. And of course, Robin has a great game. And of course, Robin hits two clutch free throws towards the end of the game and the Bulls win. Now game five. Ooh, game five was crazy. Potentially MJ's last game. And of course, it's in Chicago. It was a it was an absolutely great thing, a great storyline. Right? Phil is most likely not coming back. Or from Krause says he's not coming back at all. MJ doesn't the media doesn't know if he's coming back or staying because he only wants to play for Phil Jackson. They are one win away from winning another title. They're sixth together and they're at home. Well, they didn't win. 
Jazz were up by two with 1.1 seconds left. Bulls, Bulls had the ball uh, at half court. MJ misses with inches, and the Jazz win game five. Now game six, the game of all games. What a wild turn of events here. So game six, they're back in Utah, the calm before the storm. Pippen starts the game. He's been battling kind of through this back injury, and he scores the very first basket of the game. He dunks it, and he stiffens his back up badly. He fucked it up real bad. Jammed it up, that's what he said. And he goes into the tunnel, goes back into the locker room. They're putting injections in, creams, trying to get to reduce the swelling in his back. And Pippen left for a little bit, but he got tough and played here and there throughout the game. Starting the third quarter, Pippen was back. Basically, he said I was a decoy the entire game. MJ was like, dude, you got to fucking play. You got to just be out there. Be there. I mean, look, you think about it. The scores, the real, you had, the other, other than Pippen and MJ, who was a score that you really could rely on? Kukoc, yes. Kerr, sure. Um, who else? Ron Harper, maybe. It's a good point guard. Wasn't really a of a scorer, but he was a good, good passer, good defender. But you needed Pippen out there because MJ was getting double teamed left and right. So you needed another scorer, a scorer that could. I mean, we, well, I'm not even mentioning Robin because Robin never scored. He scored barely seven points a game, six points a game. But he was more of a defensive guy. But you needed another scorer out there or someone to look like a scorer. Because it couldn't just be all MJ. I mean, MJ, of course, can do it all by himself. Because he basically did. To start the fourth quarter, he played 34 of the 36 minutes. And like I said before, Pippen was treated off and on that entire game. He was five minutes off the court to go get treated. Played five more minutes. Treated off a couple more minutes. Played another couple more minutes after that. So it wasn't consistently. But the game was going back and forth. The entire game. Bulls pull within one. 86-85 with 30 seconds left. MJ steals it. The Jazz... The Jazz were fucked right from there. So the Jazz... Um, we're trying to run through this patent and play with Carl Malone. Give the ball to Malone. And MJ didn't go with his defender. He came back up and double-teamed Malone. Malone didn't see it coming. MJ steals the ball. And then this sequence was unbelievable. Bulls have the ball, and everybody got the fuck out of the way. I mean, they, they, everyone asked, what, what was, the, what was the, the game plan during this last play? Pippen said, get the fuck out of the way. Robin's like, I'm not touching the ball. Kerr was like, I'm not going near him. It was his time. Paxson had his, had, had his clutch shot. Coach had his clutch shot. I mean, MJ's had his fair share of clutch shots as well. Let's not get it wrong here. Kerr has his clutch shot at 97. But this was the one that was going to be Michael's and maybe the last shot of MJ's career. So, it's MJ's time. He makes a shot with 5.2 seconds left, 45 points for Michael Jordan. And, of course, the famous shot was off of Brian Russell. Brian Russell's covering him, playing hard defense, not so fast. Now, everyone thought the push-off from this MJ's left hand is why Russell fell. No, it was kind of going that direction, and Michael Jordan did a little quick crossover, and it kind of just like 
his hand kind of brushed on him. I mean, everyone can have the argument there, but I, I totally agree with Michael Jordan. It didn't look like a, a push-off at all. He shoots it, of course. Hand up. The final shot. Stockton misses. After that shot, inbound Stockton misses. Bulls win again. Their second three-peat. Unfucking believable You know, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. To, th- to think that this shit was actually real. It was actually a real thing. That somebody could win that many titles in that short amount of time. It's fucking crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Two three-peats. Six titles. Six and all. Six NBA Finals MVPs. You don't see it. Once in a generational type player. We might not see it ever again. We'll talk about this fucking LeBron debate. LeBron, MJ LeBron debate. Who's better? Because they did it on ESPN last night on Scott Van Pelt's show. I'm going to settle it once and for all in a second. So, they win. We're seeing them smoking cigars, popping the champagne. Can you believe it? We did it again. MJ was like, yeah, duh, we did it. And we saw... Wild didn't see this coming. Leonardo DiCaprio comes out of nowhere and makes an appearance and starts shaking MJ's hand. Hilarious. Didn't see that coming at all. So we're at the championship rally now, the parade after the 98 win. And it was pretty interesting to hear this from a guy who absolutely hated Jerry Krause. It was Scottie Pippen. He said, look, you got to give the guy credit. He was the one who signed Phil Jackson, brought him here. He was the one who got all of us here together. Drafted me, got MJ, everybody. He got them all. He got coach. He brought over Kerr and Ron Harper and Rodman. Took a chance on Rodman. So, Scotty's right. Right from the get-go, we all hated Jerry Krause. Right from the get-go in episode one. Because we learned that he didn't want Phil Jackson back. And throughout the episode, we started to hate him even more. Because how can you how can you absolutely destroy a franchise in a matter of weeks after the 98 season's over? I get it. Why people would hate him. I'm sure Bulls fans still hate him. And it sucks because he can't actually defend himself because he isn't around anymore. He's dead. But I would have to say Pippen, very surprising for him to say because he absolutely hated him. He wasn't getting paid enough money. Pippen was like, fuck you. I'm not getting my surgery. I don't want to waste my summer. I ain't playing. So guess what? I want. I, and also, I want out. Kraus trade me. And it really didn't work out. But the fact of the matter is that Pippen said it on, on the documentary that we got to give him all credit. And we're, we're all right. We have to. He's right. We have to do that. We have to give Kraus credit. We can all hate Kraus and how we handle it. Because he's being petty and he didn't get the, the notoriety that he thought he should get from this winning the titles. Yeah, sure. Maybe you should get some more recognition that you put this franchise together. And you got them all to play together. But the players are the ones who win the championships. Not the front office. The front office puts the talent together. Then the talent has to do its job to win. Right? But I agree. We should give him a little more credit. And then they started to finish off the documentary. There was 
players, coaches, media people, and even the president, Barack Obama, said that MJ was a not only the best player of all time, he changed the game of basketball, but he was a cultural icon that changed the game and was an ambassador for the, U the U.S. overall. That's what Obama said. MJ and the Bulls changed the culture. I think David Stern said at the time there was 80 different countries playing basketball over the world. Now there's over 250 different countries all over the world playing basketball. You could say the Dream Team was a huge factor, but at the end of the day, it was MJ. MJ put basketball on the map around the globe. Everyone says Larry Bird and Magic saved basketball in the, in the, in the 80s. Absolutely. Can't disagree with that. But Michael Jordan put basketball on the map across the globe. And that Bulls team and that run with six titles. Now after that sixth championship, the Bulls owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, said, look, I want Phil, I want you back. I want you to come back. I know Krauss want you back, whatever, fine. But I, I, I want you back. Phil didn't want to. He was like, yeah, I do and I don't. He wanted to respect Krauss. He didn't want to show up Krauss because everyone was showing up Jerry Krauss to begin with. All the time. Making fun of him or comments after this and that, this and that for the, over the years. But Phil said it was time. It was time for me to go. MJ fell. He could have won seven titles after that. He could have won a seven. MJ said it was maddening that he left in his peak. The man won three titles, left baseball for 18 months, comes back and wins three more. And he said he could have won, he could have won a, a fucking seventh NBA title after that. I know I just said we should give Kraus credit, but we also have to recognize that Kraus did something that he probably should have done and ended this franchise. Because after the franchise, after this was over, Phil Jackson was replaced, Michael Jordan went back into retirement, Scottie Pippen was traded, Dez Robin was released, Robin played 35 more games after this 98 win. 35, that's it. And Steve Kerr was traded. So he single-handedly just, just he let everybody go because of pettiness. But something very interesting happened to end this to end this documentary that for one shows that Phil Jackson is a unbelievable mind, unbelievable brain. Has a has something that it goes past basketball. It's more than basketball. We know Mike. We know we know Phil Jackson is this spiritual guy. He used to do it before he started coaching the Bulls, and also during the coaching the Bulls, the yoga and meditation and positive thinking. But I didn't know this happened either. So Phil has his garbage can and in his office, or he was either in his office, or they did this meeting somewhere. I don't remember where it was, but they. Um, they were told to come into the to the office or come to that meeting, write on a piece of paper, 
of message, a message or things you thought about during this 98 season, a word that symbolized the season, a poem, whatever. Everyone did it, and it was very emotional and very um, moving, is what Steve Kerr said. But MJ wrote a poem that shocked everybody. The entire team did something like that, but but MJ's poem was from the heart, and you, and Kerr said it. You, you saw something from Michael that we've never seen before. We've seen his emotions. We've all known he was this this guy that was very passionate about being this champion. He wanted to be this champion. Wanted to be the best. We know the passion. We knew him as a rough teammate. He was very hard to play with sometimes, hard to be around because he was just so different. But you saw something from Michael that day in that moment that we've never seen before. And it got emotional. So you saw you saw this pit in the documentary, of course, it was put in there. And they lit the the, the garbage can on fire and they lit all the stuff, all the messages, the poems, the words. Just to kind of, I guess, it symbolizes that this run is over. This era is over. It was very powerful. Very powerful. And you see Michael smoking a cigar in his house. Again, loves the cigars. And you see him sit up and you walk away. And he said, it started with, the, with hope. It's pretty incredible stuff. And... You know, it's I'm not a I'm I'm a basketball fan. I played basketball when I was younger. Didn't play that long because I played baseball in college. I never had this the mindset like Michael does. And then guess what? I think nobody really else has. I would say Kobe Bryant and maybe LeBron. But I think the most the person that symbolizes Michael since him was Kobe Bryant. But I, I never had this mentality of just win at all costs. And it's, it's past sports because you, you look at it as life, too. He he won at life. He has three great kids. Won a lot of, he's made a lot of money, won a lot of championships, has an amazing company and Jordan brand. So he's he's pretty successful, but he's he's a winner at life. Has he had some rough patches through? Absolutely, because everyone does. His gambling addiction, his debt he had to pay, his father's tragic tragic death but we all have bumps in the road but it's all about how you move past those bumps in the road and it looks like he hey he has it's been, it was a tough journey for him no doubt about it. everyone says oh or the fame i would take that fame in the, in the tragedy and then all the you know the bumps in the road all the time look he wanted to be away from the game that's why he left he's like i can't take it anymore but he 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 got past it and i gotta say it was very moving and a lot of people, I think, are going to start looking at this documentary as, nah, I wouldn't say a saving grace, but more of a wake-up call to a lot of people, including me. He did everything he could to win and to be successful. And you can take that Jordan mentality or the mama mentality and move it towards your life. Into, of course, no one's perfect, but with hard work, you know, you could have some success. 
and I've and I've kind of lived my life like like that. The hard work could come success kind of attitude. But watching this documentary and just watching how Michael just did everything he could, didn't stop at all for success. Is I think I'm gonna live by that. It all starts with hope. And he started it back in 1984, saying, I want to be recognized. I want this Bulls team to be recognized just like the Celtics, the Lakers. I want them to be recognized just like that. And he did it. He's fulfilled his, his duties as an NBA player. But I want to be able to fulfill my duties as like a, as a young, uh, I guess I don't say broadcaster, reporter, whatever, whatever my title is. I don't even know what my title is. I just like calling sports. I like talking about sports. I like... This is what I want to do for a career. And it's very hard. I'm sorry I'm getting really emotional. Not emotional, but I'm sorry I'm getting really, you know, in-depth with my personal shit. It's not even that personal, but I'm just saying... I want to just end it here. I'm just going to say, look, I've worked my ass off for a long time, and I, and I, I think I'm going to start thinking like Michael and try have that personality like Michael Jordan does to stop at nothing and winning is the only thing that's important and he won and he ended his career on a high note winning another title the city of Chicago will never forget of it and will never ever forget it so yeah this was fun five episodes five bonus podcasts for you it's great it's a good time I liked it a lot I now can not stay up so late <laughs> recording and <laughs> recording these podcasts. It's fucking late right now. So I got to say it was fun. It was definitely a fun time. Um, there's more There's more documentaries coming out. 30 for 30 is dropping three more documentaries from here. I think like next week or a couple weeks from now, they're, they're dropping out the Lance Armstrong documentary. Uh, that's two episodes. And then they're going to be dropping a... Bruce Lee documentary and then the first week of June and then the one I'm looking for is second, third week in June. They're dropping um, a baseball documentary from the 1998 home run battle between McGuire and Sosa. I can't wait to see that. I don't think we'll be doing bonus documentary, bonus podcasts for that, but we'll be talking about that throughout the podcast. So, all right. Thank you for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed. Please leave your comments. Subscribe to End of the Bench Podcast. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram's Taylor underscore Ringgold. And Twitter is just Taylor at Taylor Ringgold. Um, subscribe and follow End of the Bench on Instagram and Twitter. And um, yeah, look forward for another podcast on Friday. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Um, all right, we're out. Peace.
Sending all her friends snaps on my new tracks Cause all these hoes know what's about to come 